listeners, we are back with another episode of Proactive, the podcast where we dive deep into pr productivity. Remember that this podcast is more about just doing. It's about producing your best life. We talk about productivity as it relates to finances, fitness, family, faith, fun. We want you to be able to produce your best life. And remember that time is your most limited resource. So being productive with your time is how to best create the most fun in your life. Today, we have with us Ben Shrek. He's a graduate of MIT. He has a computer science degree, an undergrad and master's degree, and he has specialized in both um, Bitcoin and the finance industry, as well as artificial intelligence. And today we want to talk about how we can use AI, what's new, what's coming up, what do we as non-computer science, non-coders need to know about how to best use AI and how AI is going to help us or can help us produce our best life. So welcome to the podcast, Ben. Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved in AI and how what made you decide to study it in school and beyond? Um, so I guess I was, it, it's funny because it was called machine learning in school not really AI and it's gone back to being AI. So, um, actually I think originally, uh, it was, you know, like when Alan Turing was around people called it AI and then that went on a fashion because no one cared about it for a while. And then we started calling it machine learning because it's like a more specific thing and it didn't have all the bad connotations. Then somehow in the last few years, we went back to AI, which is cool. But um, I mean, I got into it because it seemed like the, the most exciting thing that we could possibly do with computers. Um, I think that's the whole goal of computing is um, trying to replicate what humans do. Um, and it seems like we're building, um, it seems like the, the, the flow of human progress is to just offload more and more tasks and capabilities to, um, external machines and devices, um, and kind of, I guess, give birth to sort of another species. Um, <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Uh, species. This gynecologist likes that uh, metaphor. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it seems like the um, it seems like the most fun thing that I could do um, related to Excellent. computers. So when we were talking earlier, Richie talked about how he, as a non-computer coder, uses Chat GPT in his life to make himself a little more productive. Richie, do you want to comment on your use of AI? Yeah, so um, I'm I'm a, a newbie when it comes to AI itself. Um, technology, computing, for me, I, I can build a computer, I can build a PC, you know, in a heartbeat, 100%. But when it comes to the programming, I did programming um, information technology in college. So when I was 16 to 18, I did the IT side of things. And then I fell away from it. I was building websites for a while fell away from it. And, um, and then I joined the army, did 15 years there. And, and it's only quite recently that I've only, I've got back into um, the, the IT side of things. Um, and AI for me is quite new, but chat GPT was something that was mentioned in a conversation 
and uh, someone said that there's a possibility by using it, it could make my life more productive and it could save me time. And as Ben's alluded to there, um, offloading onto the AI tasks that potentially would take me days, um, I can have a, a piece of software that can do it in 10 seconds, you know, a minute, two minutes. Um, and for me, it's been quite life-changing because if I want, I can put in the basic questions and it will bring an answer. So fitness world, um, I can put in there, you know, give me 10 exercises that will work the glutes and it will throw out the information straight away. So there's, I don't need to go and troll the internet to find the information. It can bring it to me. And, and I think for me, that's what AI has been about. Um, so, so for those of us, I've used it as an editor, right? Like I can write something and then have it edit. And those are the chat GPT that you and I know. I'm going to ask Ben, where does it go from here? Because you have more of a, you know what's coming. So tell me how you can use chat GPT to be more productive in your life. And how, how have you used it to help you make decisions, for instance? And where do you see it going? Um, yeah, I think there's a lot there. There's, there's, I, I use it for many different things. Um, I mean, I use it every day for work uh, when I'm building software. Anytime I run into like a, um, something I don't know how to do or something that I have to before, just kind of, like you said, search the internet to figure out how other people have done it. Um, it has all that information already. Um, unless the, um, the thing you're working on is really new. So I kind of just ask it and it'll, it can code, you know, so it, it can produce short programs. Um, and they're usually right. I mean, there's sometimes when it's a little bit too complex and it, it gets it wrong. So that will get better in the future. Um, where it's going, I, I think, uh, I mean, one is just handling bigger and bigger inputs and access to like more um, up-to-date information and, and more personalized information about you. So like, I think everyone's going to have their own personalized version of, of GPT as like an assistant that knows about you, um, and can remember your previous conversations. Cause right now there's, there's no state, so it doesn't remember anything. As you're alluding to, I've also been using it for just making decisions, uh, in my life, which has been fun, more as an experiment than anything else. Um, but I'm sure as you guys know, like decision paralysis is very annoying. And if you're confronted with too many good decisions that all seem very similar, like it's almost worse than just having one decision. It's very mm -hmm. hard to pick between them. So I'm kind of running an experiment. Uh, I made this kind of custom GPT where you can, you can just do on their website really easily with just a, you know writing a few instructions. And I just told it, like, give me one answer. Don't don't give me a list of 10 answers. Like, don't give me 10 exercises for the glutes. Give me one. Um, and I've been just trying to see where that takes me. So I asked it. Um, I gave it a bunch of backstory. And I was like, hey, should I move to LA or, or San Francisco? <laughs> it told me to move to San Francisco. Um, so that's that's been fun. I mean, and and there's, there's a whole lot of places that it can go. Uh, I think we're just, we're going to see we're already seeing it in like every application, like, you know, every, every app is going to have some kind of built-in language model. Uh, but I think video data is going to be really important going forward. There's 
there's already a lot of stuff with images. Um, video is a bit harder because there's, if a video is like a ton of images in a row. Um, so can you explain what to... you mean by video? Like, give us an example of how it's going to be using video. Well, right now you can upload a photo, for instance, to GPT, and you can ask it questions about the photo, what, what's in it. Like, I, I was able to take a picture of my fridge and be like, hey, what can I make from this? Um, so that's pretty cool, but uh, it, it can't work with video data. And in general, like there's lots of things that, I mean, we as humans pretty much, we rely on video as, as our primary sensing modality for interacting with the world. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, what I'm trying to do is like video editing, for instance, like I think there's a lot you could do with, with AI for video editing. Um, you know, either making marketing material or like you just have a bunch of raw footage and you want to stitch it together and um, you want to get faster at stitching it together so that you don't have to do all the tedium work of actually looking through the footage yourself. Um, but, you know, video data is already used for a lot of applications um, that are AI based, such as self-driving cars. Um, they have cameras and they have to figure out how to, how to see the world. And even if they're not self-driving, like there's still functionality in most cars today on, um, you know, figuring out if, if the car in front of you is getting too close and then buzzing you or lane changes, like telling if you're going in and out of the lane. So that's an example. Um, I think, you know, there's many more security footage, um, not having to sift through all of that yourself as a human. So I have a question. It just made me think of this. So we, our primary sense that we are aware of that we're using is sight. And so AI right now is very much, as you just said, about video and sight. Are there avenues of AI where they're trying to use taste, smell, touch, mm. and, in, and, and advance that? I, I think we're a lot farther away from that. I mean, we need all of that. As we were talking about before, I think uh, we're way farther away in robotics than we are in information technology. Mm. Um, which is kind of, it's very different from the vision of, of the future that people had 50 years ago and when robots were gonna be doing everything. And um, it, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Like it's, we're taking, we're kind of taking away the good jobs for the bad jobs, which may not be the best thing. Like gardeners are gonna be around for a very long time. Um, not that gardening is a bad job, but that's just like an example of, of something that is very hard to do right now. Um, so I don't know if people are working on things like taste and smell. Um, it seems like it's probably, there's probably less money in it. <laughs> so there's probably fewer people working on it um, mm -hmm. to develop. I don't know, like what you do with artificial taste besides kind of, you know, fun artsy projects. There's probably something, uh, um, but it's less obvious. Uh, and our, our, we just don't have the sensing technology built up for, for those things as, as well as we do for video and for sound and for tech. I mean, computers are text, right? I mean, it's like every coding is text. So like, that's just like native to computers. And, and that's like why uh, the language models took off first because it's like the easiest data to work with. Mm. Second easiest data to work with is, well, second and third are like video and sound. Um, and that's because our sensor, our sensing technology is incredibly good for that because there was so much money to be made in getting really, really uh, nice cameras and video into like our smartphones. Mm -hmm. 
So like it's, it's ubiquitous, the data is everywhere, we know how to deal with it, but we don't have, we don't have taste sensors on our phone because there's no money to be made in putting a taste sensor on your phone, mm -hmm. unless you come up with one. So how has AI helped you start to manifest and produce a better life for you? Um, Where is it safe time and, and resources? I mean, in my, you kind of have to use it in your job now that you don't have to, but like as a software engineer specifically, like it's, it's definitely saved a lot of time and just like getting from zero to one on a project or uh, eliminating some of the time spent debugging, which is like 80% of your time as a software engineer. So it just, like that just speeds things up that way. Um, I think we all use it uh, unknowingly all the time. Um, every time you search something on Google, like technically you are using machine learning AI, like in the background, it's not as advanced as these language models, but like we've been using that for years. Um, we rely on, we rely on these algorithms for, for instance, if you're, if you're putting out a podcast or something on a social network, like for other people to see it, there has to be some kind of AI of like how to show right. it to people. For me personally, um, the biggest thing is just the fact that it can code mm -hmm. so far. You think someone like me for YouTube, so I've got a couple of YouTube channels. Do you think, um, I know you've mentioned about the, um, the video editing and being able to splice things together. Do you think that there's maybe a real world application where it could be used to create a steady flow of followers and subscribers? Is that something that AI might be able to achieve for me? And we talk about algorithms for YouTube, um, but is there something that I could be doing? Is there, is there some formula that I could create using something like chat GPT to help me advance my, my subscribers? Um, I, I don't really know. I mean, it, I'm sure it could help you, um, at a high level of just, of just what are the general tools that, uh, what are the, what are the recommendations for building a following on YouTube? Um, and you, I think maybe the more specific you give it, like, you know, the more that it can find, uh, what are some commonalities among fitness provider youtube channels hmm. uh, just to help you like see what other people have done but yeah. i don't think there's anything currently out there right now that you can just be like kind of like you said like without really doing much just like what should i put out there to get more followers i mean it'll give you an answer like you could just ask it that like i don't know i don't know what it'll say you might as well just try just ask <laughs> it like here's my channel what can I do to get more subscribers? It'll give you an answer. Whether or not it's a great answer, it's probably a pretty generic answer. And the thing mm -hmm. with building like a YouTube channel, which I'm sure you're aware, like you need a take, you need like something that's different from what everyone else is doing. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's very good at providing a contrarian take yet. I think that's okay. something that you need to, that the humans are still better at, which I guess is a good thing. Um, but 
what I think is going to be really cool and what I'm going to try to build actually is just tools to make the um, the editing process and like organizing your your video content uh, much more enjoyable and, and faster. Um, and I, I think there's going to there's already some tools out there for that. I mean, I don't know if you've heard of uh, like Descript um, and text-based editing in Adobe Premiere, but they do like speech to text on like a podcast, for instance, um, and you, they'll like automatically eliminate filler words and word gaps if you take too long between saying something and you can kind of edit by just finding um, sentences that you don't want and deleting them hmm. uh, instead of going through a normal video editor. So those are, those are getting there. Um, but I think there's going to be a lot more tools available in the next couple of years for making that, uh, you know, going from raw content to like produced video more seamless. All right. So I got, we got a, Arthur is in the finance and the business world and I'm in the, the healthcare world, right? So how soon do you think we're going to be using, I mean, I think like people walk into the ER and before they see a physician, they actually see an AI computer generated. Here are my symptoms. What's wrong with me? I think that's more of a question of trust than than the actual, um, you know, intelligence of the model or how good the model is. Because so it seems like we're like I think I think these tools are already pretty good at that stuff. Uh -huh. uh, but how you deal with yeah, who you trust, like so whether you trust the AI model. You know. Yeah, so maybe it's going to be but the behind the scenes. You go in, you tell the medical assistant or the nurse your symptoms. They put it into the computer and then gift that to the physician. It's possible, but like, there's also like, do the physicians trust it? I think there's like a question of like, you know, do the patients trust it? But are these doctors going to be cool with that? I kind of maybe well, the younger ones would be. I wonder <laughs> if it's going to get you down a rabbit hole and not think creatively. And so people are going to get the wrong diagnosis because they're going to get the common diagnosis and not the zebra. Remember house? Yeah. Show house, but, right? Always looking for the zebras. But you can just ask it. I mean, you can just ask it like, what are some really obscure diagnoses that could be a thing for this? And I think it would be able to find those. I think the question is like, it probably doesn't have, um, I don't really know, honestly, actually, like I was going to say, maybe it doesn't have the intuition of how to choose between all of those if they're very similar mm -hmm. as a doctor. Maybe it does, though. I mean, I don't really know what, because like, that's that's different than. Maybe it'll help us decide between the art and the science of medicine and which is actually more important, <laughs> the intuition, which is the art or the science, which is the. Yeah, but I also like it's also getting really good at art. <laughs> ah, yeah. I, so I, I mean, I don't know. It's like. I think we're discovering what's actually difficult in the world is, is not what we thought it was. Ah, like we can generate that. these awesome artistic pictures, mm. um, but it hasn't, it hasn't solved any physics, any new physics breakthroughs or math problems. Interesting. Um, it hasn't come up with any yeah. new technologies yeah. yet. Yeah. yeah, exactly. All right. I, I would... In the business world. Let's have Arthur pipe in about how they use it in the business world and how they would like to use it in the business world. Actually, before you go there, let's go to your world, Tina. I, 
I was reading an article the other day about intuitive surgical, and they have some very precise uh, robotic surgical surgery robot. The Da Vinci robot. I've used it. Yeah. And so, so do you look through those screens and you direct the robot? It sounded almost like yeah. the, the robot interprets what you say and makes super, super precise incisions and whatnot. And the sutures needed are much smaller and the entry. Uh, no, you're, you're, you're doing the surgery completely, but you're doing it robotically. So you, you're sitting at a screen yeah. You, put, you put the cameras into the body and the instruments okay. are in the body and then you're remotely sitting separately at a screen and your physical movements are still doing the surgery um, robotically. So I move the instrument. I'm using my eyesight in a 3D visualization of what's actually happening. Um, so, so hopefully that's your good eye. But, but so... So far, then AI is not involved in that. That's all you, then, right? It's it's robotic, so it's machine learning and robotic because I'm telling the robot. I'm I'm on a console moving things, but okay, the, okay, yeah, this... the robot actually what to do, but yeah. I'm not moving the instruments. The ro it's the connection between the. So it is machine learning because it's it's not really the technical definition of machine learning, but it's um, but I, I mean, you can argue what that actually is. But yeah, I mean, someone I, I in another room could be doing the surgery. Yeah, yeah, but it's, so it's, it's robotic. It is robotics right. more than it is artificial intelligence. Artificial yeah. intelligence would be like like how long until until like, yeah, what Arthur said, like you can just tell it, OK, take take the do this thing like describe what to do and then it'll Correct. Just do it for you that's it's not it's the surgeon is still doing the surgery so and anyway so uh live and learn live and learn but the um as far as business i mean and ben you tell me but it seems like these robo advisors which are these programs um you know that analyze people's portfolios and risk tolerance i guess that's driving uh, investments and portfolio allocation, right? Where you spread your money around into various investment buckets or baskets. And then um, relating to Salesforce, the big CRM uh, program slash company, uh, you know, they use uh, AI to um, figure out connections for people. Uh, LinkedIn does that also. Even, even Amazon, uh, when you buy a blue shirt, you know, it, Amazon, as I understand it, is basically one big search engine. So they'll say, hey, people who bought this bought this other, the red shirt or, you know, the, the pair of pants, right? So uh, they're using AI to figure out buyer behavior and then either create products or, you know, in, encourage people to buy more on, on these sites, right? Yeah. And that's that's been the case for a while. I mean, they've they keep getting better at it, but even, I mean, the last 10 years, they've been able to do that. Is this the reason why when I look at something on Amazon, it's suddenly in my Facebook feed? So I don't know exactly what's going on there. I think they're sharing data with each other um, and it's a little 
scary because yeah things will pop up when you didn't expect them to hmm. and i know apple now has that thing like when you download an app it'll say like ask app not to track your data or something okay. so i think i think yeah there's a, there's probably they probably sell your data to and it's just like shopped around to all these companies okay so i mean the real question then is if if it's limited at the moment um probably down technology wise um we had a little conversation before the podcast started and we were we were debating on where it could go and what type of learning could be achieved if the ai was put into a robot and the robot was allowed to then venture around the world what's your thoughts on on that progression who is me or arthur yeah yeah for yourself yeah um yeah i mean that that seems that seems kind of crucial to really get the kind of intelligence that we have. I mean, that's how we learn as babies. Like we're just navigating the world and we're, we're learning by experiment really by we like doing an action, seeing what it does and then interpreting that and incorporating that into our mental model of, of how the world works. Um, and currently there's, yeah, the AI tools out there, they're not really continuously learning and they can't really just like do experiments and incorporate, they can't really plan what experiments to do and then like incorporate that into back into their learning cycle with the exception of game AI, which actually is, is probably the very similar to what this would be. Um, so like, uh, teach when the, um, I don't know if you were following the AlphaGo thing, but they, you know, the deep, deep mind at Google taught um, a machine to play Go, which is a classic game. This was five, maybe seven, seven years ago. And that was a huge breakthrough, but they did that by like playing lots of games against itself. Mm -hmm. um, and in order to do that, it has to, it has to make decisions on, for instance, like where to place a piece on the board and then figure out if that resulted in a, a better outcome or a worse outcome. So that's the kind of thing that like the large language model is not really doing that. Um, and potentially something like Tesla's autopilot is that's one example of where this is being used. Like it's able to navigate the world and make decisions in real time and collect real time data. That's so the self-driving car stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's actually a car experimenting as opposed to a human experimenting with life and the real world, it's a car experimenting. Kind of, but it's not, yeah, I mean, it's, yes, in a broad sense, yeah, but it's not, it's not doing it in real time. Like it's, it has its built-in models. It's not learning on the fly and like they'll mm -hmm. have, it'll send that data back to, uh, you know, Tesla headquarters, their data mm -hmm. centers. And then every now and then they'll update their models based on the new data. But it is, it is like that. Yeah. It's just, it's a little bit abstracted away. It's an interesting concept to think of a self-driving car as actually a robot, but it is. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, a, it's, robot it's a robot carrying people. Yeah. Now, Waze or uh, Google Maps, when they pop up on the console that there's an accident ahead, do you see it or not? Is that relying on instantaneous, you know, user feedback or is and then, and yeah. then just secondly, uh, reroute traffic possibly around to, to try to avoid that accident, if you will, or, you know, road hazard. I think, I think Waze, well, actually, I just had this conversation with, with my brother yesterday. 
Um, Waze, I think, just has they rely on people to submit that data. So like if you see if you see a traffic accident, like you can tell Waze like, hey, there's a thing here, and then if enough people do it, they'll send that out to the rest of the community. I I wonder I've wondered if Google does that of like routing people around traffic intelligently. The thing is, it's not very good at it. And like I I ran into I was trying to get to the airport yesterday, and there was like a race that closed off the street and that Google didn't know about, and they were pretty bad at routing me around that. Um, mm-hmm. I assume they do something, but it's it's not that good. Whatever they do, I'm surprised they don't yet have Big Brother person of interest like cameras everywhere. Well, that, what thank, a God, great- thank God they don't. <laughs> but I'd see, I see. I don't know. I feel. I wonder if well, other countries do. Right? Like it just. Maybe. We got uh, China, cameras for if China you go through cameras. red light. You know. Yeah, I think China has cameras everywhere. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, SpaceX could do this pretty soon. They have thousands and thousands of of satellites um, in right. low Earth orbit for Starlink. So ah. if, they, if they, I mean, they don't have cameras on them now, but they could put cameras on them. Interesting concept, it, like a big Amazon Go store. Just the <laughs> yeah, that sounds very dystopian. Yeah, this is a fascinating uh, discussion, but a little bit uh, scary, frankly. Ben, I thought you were going to bring us good news today. Give us some good news. Well, you you came in too late. We had all the good news at the beginning. <laughs> it's always a day late, a dollar short. I want to sell. I mean, I want a self-driving car. I want to be able to just like you know, uh, drive to Mammoth. I, I want to be able to drive five hours and sleep the whole way. Yeah, I mean, it sounds perfect. For me, do you think we're all going to end up like the movie Wally, where we're in space and the robots are doing everything for us and we're all just laying down on these... Hopefully there's a gym, space. though. Hopefully there's a gym in space in that giant cruise vessel so that we can, we can work out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the hope. So, I mean, my, my yeah. kind of final question for you then is, Going back to productivity, and we talked about chat GPT, and I know there's a lot more out there than just that, but if you could give the listeners one bit of advice today to help improve their productivity, whether it's work or at home, what would it be with regards to AI? I think just experiment with chat GPT and try to use it for, for things that you don't want to do or for decisions that you have to make that are bugging you. Like just experiment with it. It's pretty it's pretty capable um and i mean not to shill <laughs> the paid version but like the the paid version is like significantly better than the unpaid version um so just try it out excellent well thank you everybody for coming again an interesting chat and join us for our future podcast where we talk about productivity remember that time is your most valuable resource And so choosing how you do things, how you occupy your time and plan to be and do and produce your best life, right? Use your time wisely so that you can spend more time being and less time doing. Thank you all for listening and till next time. See ya.